0: Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So, AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So, welcome and enjoy. Assalamu alaikum. Today we're doing a collaboration between AccidentalMuslims.com and Proudly Muslims of South Africa. Uh, today we have Nina here from Proudly Muslims of South Africa and I'm here, I'm Fahmida, on behalf of AccidentalMuslims.com. Um, I'd like to welcome Mr. azervadi from Salam Media. It's a privilege to have you with us and thank you for accepting our invitation today. It's
1: a pleasure. JazakAllah khaira.
0: Okay, so... Um, Nina, would you like to start uh, off? Yes. Um,
2: I truly am honored to once again be graced with the presence of Mr. Azarvadi. Um, this may not be very necessary, but I'm sitting here today. It's all because of him. The journey started a long way back, and when I was still finding myself into which career path that I would like to undertake, Mr. Azarvadi took me under his wing and taught me everything that I know today. I'm a journalist. I can report, I can do all of this, all because of Azhar Fadi, who has not just stopped, he as well started off as just a journalist, but I'm proud to say that he has taken it above and beyond
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, what it initially was. He is no longer just an ordinary reporter or presenter like he used to be back in the days. He is much more involved in a lot of humanitarian work that is bringing about change. And I think what brings us here today is us wanting to find out more from him of what happened during that time. You were just a journalist, and today you are much more. You are involved in humanitarian work. You're bringing about change. You're going into these war-torn countries. Um, you're leaving your family behind, and chances are you might not come home someday. But you know we are praying for you, and we are. We, you know every time you go there, we like. Almighty Allah bring him back home to his family safe Because he's not just going there to go and report on a story But it's much, much more
0: So where did that journey begin? Before we jump into that Why don't we find out more about who Azervadi? So tell us more about who you are, please
1: Well, I'm a pretty simple guy uh, I grew up in Lens, in Linsia, In the south of Johannesburg all my life uh, The first 15 or 16 years I stayed in an area called Gravel uh, Nina would probably know Gravel better. Uh, it's uh, a poor neighborhood. The houses were predominantly just two rooms. Mm-hmm. So the area was nicknamed the Two Rooms. Uh, it was a drug infested, uh, gang infested area. But I think I had uh, the privilege of being born into a family of uh, strong individuals. My mom was a teacher. My dad was a teacher as well. Both of them were very involved in the anti apartheid struggle in the 1980s. They were at the forefront of organizations like the UDF mm-hmm. uh, and, um, you know, really taking us into the, uh, as, as kids, as youngsters, you know, from the age of six months onwards uh, into the anti-apartheid struggle. So that's basically where I grew up. Uh, I went to school at Flamingo Primary and then I did my uh, secondary schooling at Nirvana Secondary School, both of them public schooling facilities. My dad later went on to become a parliamentarian, but despite that move, we remained within the public education system. Uh, and then uh, there onwards, uh, I uh, uh, did, uh, you know, learning of the Quran at uh, the LMA, well, the basic Maktab Madrasa system at the Lanesia Muslim Association. And I'm highly indebted to all of those uh, Appas and teachers and, and, and molanas who really went out of their way to teach us at that young age. And then on to Dawatul um, Haq uh, in uh, extension 11B in Indonesia. Uh, and that's the area where we subsequently moved to in the year, I think around 2000. Um, and I've been living there ever since, in extension 11B, Indonesia. So that's my childhood. I've got two two sisters younger than me. I'm the only son. Uh, and I, I still live in the same yard with my dad.
0: Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, so how would you describe yourself in three words?
1: Oh, uh, in three ways, it's a bit difficult. I got so much to say about myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I like to say I'm a I'm a simple person. So simplicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm very passionate about whatever I do, uh, and um, I, I like to describe myself as striving for for equality, where where people are just seen as people, uh, irrespective of their backgrounds and where they come from.
0: Okay.
2: Okay, going back to the question that I asked you earlier, do you mind if I call you boss man? it's <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my nicknames that I picked yes. up at, <laughs> along the road. <laughs> yes. So, um, take me back to to that because I remember in our last chapter, you were just starting off with all of this humanitarian work. You 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 were very much interested in the struggles that were happening abroad in the war torn countries, especially Islamic countries, and you, you, you were always reporting on them, you were going to those countries, you were making sure that you get people out there to help in any way possible. Where did this all change? Where did that desire come?
1: Well, I've been practicing journalism now for quite some time, uh, since 2004, when I started off as a, as a junior reporter. Um, and... Whenever, you know, you go to a scene of a disaster or an area where there's some poverty and difficulty and I've been asking myself, isn't there a little bit more that can be done to help these people? I mean, one is we're reporting on it, we're telling the story, a limited amount of people are are being exposed to that kind of news Uh, and not everybody, uh, you know, there must be something more that can be done. And I think the breaking point came when I visited the Gaza Strip in 2009 just after the war. So the war had just ended like a week prior to that. Mm-hmm. We were along with the Gift of the Givers Foundation. We really, really struggled to get in to the Gaza Strip. It was a, a difficult journey. Uh, but once we had been in there, it was my first experience of war reporting in war journalism or conflict journalism. And to see that type of devastation upon people was just uh, you know, beyond comprehension. I, I've seen a lot in, in South Africa as a youngster under apartheid. I just managed to catch the tail end of it. And we were, like I said, you know, very involved in uh, the anti-apartheid struggle, but nothing like what a real war is. And I don't think many people in South Africa have experienced or, you know, understand what what, what war is. Um, And that really began to stir my conscience and begin to ask what can be done, what extra can be done. Uh, And that's what pushed me towards some kind of humanitarian activity. Mm
2: -hmm. You've moved a long way since then because um, you started off at Radio Islam, you went to CII, and you took a bold move of beginning, co-founding this media company, Salam Media Today. What were were some of the challenges that you encountered, you know, starting up your own media company?
1: Well, you know, going back to the Radio Islam days, I must first say I'm I'm very grateful to people like... uh, Ismail Varyava who's still at Radio Islam is much in the background, you don't hear him too much on the radio. Uh, but as a senior person at the, that radio station, community radio station at the time, he really nurtured us, mentored us, exposed us to, to, to causes and to uh, training manuals and was you know really involved in developing us as skilled journalists, how to write news, how to across a broadcast what is radio news all about how to report on elections how to verify facts all of those kinds of things basic stuff and despite although we i went to university and i completed a degree in communications but the actual nitty-gritties of journalism um is what i what what he what he uh, skilled me with so I'm, I'm ever thankful for that experience at radio islam and then uh, moving on to cii was just a you know a world of uh, more opportunity where we, we you know we travel more often. We became the head of news in that department, uh, and it it also allowed us to interact with many more people on an international level. So, mm-hmm. uh, thankful to, to 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 people like uh, uh, Zaid who was there at the time, uh, Ibrahim Kangat, all of them. I mean, they really, and then Ponti Moletsani and just seeing the determination of a person in, in in getting context. That's really what drives journalism: is your network and your context. And been able to pick up a phone and and, and get somebody to to respond to that with a statement. So I learned a lot from people like that. Um, And, well, we took a bold move. uh, Moving out of that comfort zone where, you know, every month you get your salary, you go home, you feel happy about yourself. It's easy. Uh, And said, let's try our hand at uh, entrepreneurship. Uh, in between all of that, I, I did open up a takeaway. I don't know if you know about that. Yes, do you do. don't know about that. It's called, it was called Spicy Bites. <laughs> <laughs> but Spicy Bites closed down after one year. <laughs> uh, was I, I wasn't into cooking. Uh, and um, But it gave again that entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, and uh, we decided to launch out and branch out into Salaam Media, combining the humanitarian work that we'd learned and, and the information that we'd gained over the years of experience and putting it together with journalism to create our own form of journalism mm-hmm. and that was what was Salam Media then. So I
0: guess we could call Salaam Media humanitarian journalism in a sense.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what we call it. That's yeah. our tagline, humanitarian journalism. Uh, we go against the defined or the definition, the standard definition of our journalism is because the journalist is supposed to remain aloof, not get involved in story, report from the outside and present that to the consumers of the media in order for them to make a decision as to what they'd like to do about it. Uh, And we said, I mean, we know all news agencies uh, have some agenda. Every journalist has some agenda. They have their own background, their own upbringing, their own ideas, ideologies, what they think is right and good. And that somehow gets reflected in the work that they do. So nobody comes to a situation with, uh, you know, completely unbiased neutral view and we said so why why do we need to be shy about that uh, we can define what journalism is we don't need to go by the definition that's in some Brit, you know come up with some british university or some european university or any university for that matter we can call it what we want and make it whatever we want it to be uh, and i think that's also part of decolonization of the education system we don't need to go to an, along these traditional lines and uh, if we want to get involved in a story so be it we will get involved and we will take a stance and we will uh, promote a particular agenda and if people don't like it well don't consume that type of media I'll go somewhere else mm-hmm. uh, but we going to t- and, and our agenda is a simple one it's about justice equality uh, freedom dignity democracy uh, the ideas of uh, you know uh, people living with with just human dignity mm-hmm. and, and and if we promote that uh, on and based on principle we'll always be on the right side of justice mm-hmm. irrespective of who's involved in the conflict or what the situation is uh, we want to be on the right side of, of, of history, uh, and 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 that's where we find ourselves.
0: Okay. Um, you're also your name is also synonymous with hashtag um, right for essay education and hashtag walk for Rohingya and all of that. Um, tell us more about those projects.
1: Well, the idea is to get physically involved in the projects, right? So we want uh, our team, our journalists, our um, uh, managers, everybody to become part of the story that they're reporting you know, on, not just to report on it. So we create events and we create um, uh, opportunities for them to be involved. If they, if we don't are not doing it, then we encourage people to get involved with other organizations who perhaps are doing a bigger, better job than us. Or we may not be doing anything at all, but at least here's somebody that's doing something going in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, We also feel that uh, we need to create awareness about issues in South Africa, about issues internationally. There's always this debate in the humanitarian sphere about, you know, should we be doing more international work? Should we be doing more local work? There's poverty on our doorstep. There's people that have been killed thousands of kilometers away. Mm -hmm. Who do we respond to? How do we respond? And for us, it's a simple thing. Uh, Human beings are human beings, wherever they may be. Mm -hmm. And we respond to everybody uh, and we try and not leave anybody out. So we'll do projects both locally uh, on the African continent and further afield, wherever it may be, and uh, we respond wherever we can. Sometimes we find that people would more—it's you know, easier for them to donate to international causes. Mm-hmm. We find that there's a lot of hype around it. There's much more media attention around these causes, and perhaps people just want to know about the problems of others. They don't want to know about their own problems right next door, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we find that uh, we found that we we need to do go against that grain. So massive project like Riding for SA Education uh, took us on a 3,000-kilometer cycle tour from the top of the country right down to Cape Town. Uh, we cycled well 2,000 of the 3,000. We were on an alliance and cycled all the way, <laughs> but we got sick and there was a lot of weather, weather 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 conditions. Sure. Yeah, it was tiring. Okay. But it was a massive, massive campaign and it's been ongoing. So the projects, the, the funds that have come in for that have, have been ongoing. And just last week, we opened up a computer center with the Jametor Ulama, mm-hmm. uh, yesterday in, in this and this morning we, we dropped off at the office a thousand books that are going to go to a school there's been uh, sanitary paid campaigns there's been stationary campaigns school shoe campaigns uh, uniform campaigns all of this have formed part of giving back to South African education and we really find that South African education is 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 a, is a point of of uh you know development and of uh, that we need to pay attention to because it will allow us to it's a sustainable development it's not handing out uh, some, you know, although there is a need for, for food parcel, for example, mm-hmm. but if you put something into people's education, that kid is going to use that, till you know, probably till they die or even impart that knowledge to others and more people will benefit. Um, and we also find that a lot of attention is given to, to tertiary education. So there are organizations that are rightly involved in bursaries and in trying to support kids once they get to university level. But what about the masses? I mean, the real masses mess, in education are at the primary level. That's where your grade one, grade two, grade three, that's where most of your learners are. Right. And if you see some of their conditions, it's really, really difficult. And that's where Writing for Education came out. Uh, and we want to continue that in, in years to come so that it's an annual kind of event. Um, Walking for Somalia, work for Rohingya, I mean, those again uh were just novel ideas mm-hmm. because once we launched a, a campaign for Somalia people were like okay you wrote for South Africa so now what are you going to do next like yeah. you know we <laughs> almost became our own worst enemy because people are just now expecting that you must have some major physical <laughs> <Yes>. activity <laughs> aligned to the to the to a campaign uh, but uh, it was a, an, another great experience um, we came here to this this uh, place Cordova also yeah. and um, I think it's just Putting ourselves and creating that opportunity and the the support and the willingness of other people to participate and to get involved, uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's like the community is just waiting for something to, to do. Mm-hmm. And we create that space and environment for them to do it, especially for our young people, because, I mean, we want to instill these qualities in them and expose them to others who may have had some experience doing it before so that they can it can rub off on them. Uh, we've got to create those environments. And, and that's where all of this came in. So we look forward to many more campaigns in the in the future.
2: Clearly, you've been involved in quite a bit, and the future still holds more stuff that you want to do. So uh, what has been the most moving of all? What was the one, one thing that you can say throughout all of this humanitarian work that you've done that really moved you, that really had an emotional impact on you?
1: Well, I think there's two incidences that touched me very deeply. Um, the one comes from uh, 2012 when I visited Syria for the first time in the war. Uh, I was the first South African journalist to to enter into Syria, uh, and there was a kid on the border there who was selling biscuits, and he kept on coming and he was saying "wahdi, wahdi, wahdi, wahdi" mean one, one, one dollar, one dollar for a pack of biscuits, you know, and it was this stale Arab kind of biscuits. They don't taste very nice, also, even when they're not stale. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he, keep, he kept on coming, and I was staying in a uh, in a room, and they'd given me on the border post uh, on the Syrian side, and from there I would make my daily journeys to go and get stories out deeper into the country. Uh, and he, he kept on coming every day, when I'm outside, when I you know go to the toilet, he'd catch me, and I'd come in the room, and then eventually one day I just shouted at him, you know. Like I bought enough biscuits every day i am every three four times a day something buying biscuits and biscuits and biscuits were accumulating I can't eat it and I just got tired of him and I chased him out of there like you finished. like halas, get out and I'm, I'm tired of buying biscuits and he stood there for like four or five seconds and he just looked at me you know and his eyes will never I'll never forget it it was just a sign of defeat like this guy is now that's it I'm not going to come right with another one dollar here mm-hmm and it was that those eyes will will remain with me forever i dreamt about it many times it it really really bugged me uh and it provided that type of energy that was required in me i think for the campaigns that ran thereafter for for syria relief and then we had uh in this rohingya campaign again kids uh, and I, whenever you go to these situations uh, a lot of the, the kids tend to resonate a lot because i have kids similar age and you almost transfer yourself into that position imagine those were your kids, or you were in that situation. Ah, you know, it, it becomes just—it's it's a terrible feeling. But as we were driving through the, the 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 Rohingya refugee camps, it's one one tar road that goes through it all, and uh, people would stand on the side of the roads. Everyone is begging. everybody's asking for something. It's hot. So the windows are open, and your arm is hanging out of the window like that. Um, and these kids, then they just they just put their fingers, and as you drive past, they they rub across your hand. You know. And you know you can't give them anything because uh, it, you could get arrested for giving out cash and all those kinds of stuff. So not even one Bangladeshi taka, which is like 15 cents or something. Uh, you can't even give that out. And you just just they look in their faces as you drive away. And you know you've got some money on you. You have some some travel money. Uh, but you can't give that one one taka even. Uh, and it's a heartbreaking, heartbreaking situation to, to drive through that every day, every day. Uh, I think those two incidences and then I bring it right home. There's so much of this kind of poverty on our own streets mm-hmm. uh, in South Africa where you see young kids begging and then the exploitation that comes with it after that, the sexual exploitation, the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the kidnapping, human trafficking, all of that is we know behind the scenes. This kid is here on, on the road. I'm driving past. The next guy who's coming past could be in the disguise of a humanitarian aid worker or something. will open the door, pull them in, give them five takas or ten takas and that's it. You'll never see that kid again. Uh, it's 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 it's. Uh, I think those were incidences that really touched me.
0: I think these are really tragic and heartbreaking. I mean, doesn't even come to encompass what's happening in these areas. Do you feel that we are doing enough, or that we could do more, or is it just all a political thing that you know nothing can be done I about? Think
1: uh we at salam media are beginning also to, to to begin to expand our message so we're not just talking about media we're not just talking about humanitarianism but we also want to begin talking about activism one is we uh you know we, we have the facilities like uh the various broadcasts that we have here now mm-hmm. uh we are giving in charity and that makes us feel nice about ourselves that wow thank you very much i gave my i've done my due and that's the end of that uh but in reality, what is happening, the, the, the world is hemorrhaging. There's like, a you know, blood bursting out of our brains. And we go into that person and we, we put in a Band-Aid on their finger where there's a small cut and say, no, I, you know, I did my butt. Yes, you did your butt. It's important. And, and, and inshallah, Allah will accept all of that. But we need to be able to stop these things from happening. We need to become active activists, people who say no. You know, uh, we, we could have contributed... Um, Uh, millions to 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 the fight against apartheid Mm -hmm. or millions could have come from outside and it would have been used somehow or the other to help the poverty in the country and people suffering but you needed activists you need people who are there to say i stand for my principles and i'm going to say no to these kinds of things Mm -hmm. and that's what we need to engender now and i think that's where we need if you say what more can we be doing Mm
0: -hmm.
1: there's only so much money you can give but you can begin to give of yourself give of your time this what is happening in amongst the Rohingya now. It has been happening for many years. We're only hearing about it now because the media is a massive international story. And the protest that took place this year was quite well attended. You had all of the drama that took place at the, at the Myanmar embassy. But there were protests that happened last year and the year before. Two, two protests have happened. And in that protest, uh, there were like five or ten people uh, standing there outside the Myanmar embassy saying... Don't kill the Rohingya. Now, had we made a big, uh, you know, a loud enough noise as the world, mm-hmm. we could have prevented this genocide from happening in this year. We could have become the means of of saving so many people's lives. All of this tragedy that we see unfolding, all of the resources that's going into this kind of tragedy right now, could have been used elsewhere or to, in a different manner uh, had we prevented this. But we didn't. So we need to get to that level of understanding where we become active. And unfortunately. Uh, we are all guilty every single one of myself included uh, we have not taken on that responsibility and we've just left it for expecting others to, to do that kind of work for us
2: so what are some of the future goals for Salaam media with regards to um humanitarian work
1: well we'll continue uh, our efforts both uh, locally and internationally internationally is, i mean as it as it happens we don't we can't foretell the future but key points of interest obviously will remain the rohingya for now in the near future uh, you will be seeing uh, uh, you know, continued work amongst the Palestinian people, the Syrian cause. And we will be going back to Somalia where we want to uh, assist the hospital, pediatric hospital that we've identified that was all part of that work for Somalia campaign. So that's what we want to do in in, in the near future. Uh, from a South African perspective, uh, definitely we're going to remain within the education sphere. That's where we see uh, you know, long term benefit and where we can put forward a positive image uh, to young people in this country and we can you know get a chance to interact with them share with them our experiences and hopefully inspire one or two to also take on the, the the challenges that are faced by their communities so education is is key for us uh and wherever else we can be of assistance uh you know sometimes we don't get involved in it directly but there are many other organizations that are working across various fields of humanitarian work we'd love to be of assistance to them, give them that type of platform that little bit of edit. Uh, media support mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to to amplify what they are saying and the work that they are doing
0: From a personal point of view what is your definition of success?
1: That person who saved from the fire of Jahannam and enters into Jannah, that person is successful
0: That's, that's very, very true, I have to agree with that <laughs> And um, do you have a life mantra or a life motto that you live by?
1: Uh, well, I don't really have one, but uh, I think it's on my Facebook page or Twitter channel or somewhere I've written there. Uh, every plow pulls the, every strand pulls the plow of rebellion. So if we all work together mm-hmm. and we all pull that plow together, then the change will come. Uh, but if we all pull in in different directions, we may be pulling, but that plow is not going to move an inch. Yeah, so we wrong. need to be all working together, all having the same uh, broad, there will be differences of opinion, but we have to have the same broad. Objectives, um, based on, on on principles and ethics, and I think we can bring about positive change
0: and work towards the same goals. Yeah, at the end of the yeah. day, yeah. So if
2: one day, Bossman is no longer in existence in this life, Touchwood, how would you love everyone in society, everyone who's had an encounter with you, who's heard about you, to remember you?
1: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. I... I just, I, I like people to, to, to remember me as, as somebody who who served, uh, was of service to others. Uh, I think that, that, that would be what I'd look for, person of service.
0: What would you say you're most grateful for right now?
1: Right now, well, uh, I'm grateful that I'm, that I'm a Muslim and I'm part of the Ummah of Rasulullah I think that's first and foremost. I'm grateful that I have wonderful parents who really go out of the way to support me and make sure that, uh, you know, all my additional needs and support is there so that I can do the work that I'm doing. And I'm very grateful for the superb wife that I have mm-hmm. that allows me to the space to do the work. And most, many of the times she's involved in it also, uh, doing a lot of the arrangements and, and, and you know, the, the hard work, the real hard work. Okay. So I'm really grateful for the type of partner that I've been blessed with.
0: So how do you manage that because uh, you've got family at home, you're overseas a lot. How do, how do you balance all of that?
1: When I'm at home, I try to be home. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, Although, you know, the cell phone is a terrible thing. It yeah. really eats yeah. up so much of time. <laughs> the minute you enter the house, it goes like on. They're like, people know you came home. Right yeah. Now let's send all the messages. must come. Yeah. Uh, so it, 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 it does become a problem sometimes. But um, I try as best as I can to give them uh, within my capacity whatever... I I can, as a father, in terms of time, their work, their school, their entertainment, their sporting facility. My kids have got two boys and and a girl. Um, I try and be there for all the important days in their life. Uh, And I'll work, you know, around my schedule to, I'll work my schedule around their time rather. Uh, But they also understand that um, the work that we are involved in is for a bigger cause. And as much as I can, I bring them along with me. So sometimes I go to functions or events uh, I take my kids with, mm-hmm. uh, or we we doing a, a project, or packing or you know, loading stuff or going to a school. I'll drag them along so that they also are exposed to this kind of thing and they know in the end of the day, uh, you know, this is what my father does. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think, how we try and balance it. But like every other family, we have challenges also and it becomes difficult sometimes. Um, but we try and get over that.
2: Mm-hmm you come from a family where there was apartheid during that time and they had to fight to overcome to help overcome that struggle and we are where we are today because of people like them and you've taken another step i can say a step further into carrying on where your parents have left off by doing much more than what they they have done would you say that that's the direction that you'd love your kids to take someday? Or, or yeah, well,
1: I'd I love them to, to get involved in some kind of service to humanity. I'm not going to be there to, uh, you know, put them down a straight line and say, this is what you must become. I did this or grandparents did that. You will be doing that. Uh, I'd like to give them the freedom of, of choice. i will expose them to the work that I do and, 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 and the benefits of it. But they may choose a different career path. The one thing that I like is that whatever they become in life, Um, that they give back in some way, that there must be some element of service to to humanity. So maybe they become a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, you know, even a farmer. Uh, But there must be that element of I'm giving back to even a small part of the community, but I'm giving back. And, And that would make me really proud.
0: So in keeping with today's youth, your children included, what excites you about the youth?
1: Well, I'm excited by the ability that youth have to harness the energies and the technology around them. Mm-hmm. I must say, it's, it's fantastic. The, 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 the quickness at which they learn, at which they pick up concepts and and the ability to, to convey using technology uh, a message. So so I'm, I'm really amazed at that and I think um, it's what's driven so much of the, the revolutions that we've seen in the recent past through right. Twitter and Facebook and, and WhatsApp They've toppled governments. Young people have been at the, at the core and at the base of it. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, these, these revolutions may be hijacked and whatever else. That's that, another, another story. Mm-hmm. But at the bottom end of it, it was driven by young people who just had overwhelming amount of energy and want to see a new type of life, a new society, uh, a different world. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that's, that's just phenomenal for me. Uh, on the downside, I think at the same time, there's sometimes a sense of apathy. People don't want to become politically more, uh, active. Uh, it's not my problem. I'm disengaged. I may be living uh, a life that I'm comfortable with, so I'm not too concerned about uh, the difficulties that others. I'd like people, to, youngsters to get more involved and to realize that these barriers that we've created for ourselves, class, race, uh, you know uh, all of these cultural barriers, really, sometimes they're just superficial. Mm-hmm. And in the end of it all, we're just human beings. You are going to uh, a white... Affluent family, you'll find the same family problems. You're going to uh, a, a, an Indian family in a place like Gravel, where I came from, mm-hmm. you'll find similar issues. You know, mothers and fathers are bickering and this and that. It's all because ultimately we're human beings. And these created boundaries need to be dismantled so that we have a homogeneous you know, a society that understands one another once again.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess youth don't realize how powerful they are. And generally, if everybody came together... As a unit, you can make a huge difference in anything that you
1: do. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you, you're spot on there. Uh, they, and it's going to start with the youngsters. Mm. Those who have grown up in a particular manner, in a particular way, they uh, you know the tree is already bent. Mm. And that's mm. their trajectory. They've done what they've done and their contribution to society. And we cannot ignore that also. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right here at the base with young people is where we can work and where we can make a difference for the next 50 to 100 years here.
0: Um, what would you say is one of
1: your most favorite Quranic verses or stories and why? Uh, don't despair in the mercy of Allah. You know, we, all, all of us are in some kind of uh, we're we, we human beings, we fault, we make mistakes uh, and becomes difficult to uh, when you think of of, of of all the wrong that's happening around you, it becomes so negative you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes we bombard it with this from Different media and different sources, then you almost feel despondent and you feel like, you know, why, why must I even carry on with, with anything that I'm doing? But it will just give up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Allah has given us so much of, uh, of hope in this small little ayat that I'll, I'll forgive you, I'm the, I'm the most merciful. Mm-hmm. We all make mistakes, come back to me, and, and, and it's simple and easy. And, um, and that, that for me is, 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 is something that I hang on to.
0: And what advice would you give to others that would like
1: to start working more in humanitarian work? Start. That's the most important thing. (laughs) Get all of, uh, you know, if you you don't want to work with an organization, no problem. Start yourself, individually. You know what's humanitarian work? Mm -hmm. Walking in your schoolyard and picking up a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. That's humanitarian work. That's throwing it in a bun. Uh, As we're driving on, on the road and you see somebody flinging it out of the window, stop your car get out, pick that thing up. If you can't, I'm mean you're not going to stop that vehicle from doing it, but do that, pick it up and see the difference it will make. That's humanitarian work. And you could then join an organization, join a community, join a, a, a forum, a youth forum, women's forum, uh, a masjid committee, whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. but get involved and start. That's the most important thing. Sometimes we have these wonderful, beautiful ideas and they float around in our minds and we can really share that with other people, mm-hmm. but we're just too afraid to start. So mm-hmm. that's the main thing. Get out there and make it start.
0: I think sometimes the hardest part is just starting. Mm -hmm. Once you've started and you get going, it becomes easier after that. And the
1: support that you get after that, you'll be Mm -hmm. amazed. uh, When people see the small things that you're doing and they realize it, uh, you all of a sudden find yourself in the leading position. Now others are waiting for me to tell them what to do. Uh, And and, and you become a community leader, uh, a leader amongst your friends and peers. Mm -hmm. So that's the important thing is to just start.
0: Okay, so on to the last question. Uh, I believe this is one of Khalil's favorite questions. Today is your You're last me day. scared now. <laughs> <laughs> Today is your last day. You're going to die. You only have enough energy to say a few words. What would it be? Besides the Kalima, right?
1: Besides the- <laughs> oh, uh, my, my last words, if I had the opportunity to, to tell it to anybody, uh, I'd uh, seek forgiveness from every person that I may have harmed that I may have said something to, that I may have offended in any way, uh, and ask them really to forgive me, because I wouldn't be able to repay them after that. In the akhirat, I'll have to give them my good deeds, mm-hmm. and that's difficult, so I'd rather ask them to forgive me now. Those would be my last words.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, and uh, to sit down and speak to us. Uh, hopefully um, whoever's listening to this or whoever's watching this will benefit from this and take your cue and start something and get involved Truly. with more humanitarian and we work. also
2: hope that um, as you are this young individual with this heart of gold and wanting to make a change, you could perhaps have disciples in different parts of the country, raise those disciples to do the work that you're doing. Like each time you go to these places, teach them so that they can do, carry on doing this good work. Because I guess um, in every place that we go to, that you've go, that you been to, you, you, you must have realized that there was a shortage of mentors there as well. So I hope that you can just be that ray of hope everywhere you go, have disciples, go back there and hear that that young man followed in my footsteps. And I'm sure that could give you some sort of pride in us as well. So all the best for your future goals. And thank you once again for for joining us at Accidental Muslims and Proudly Muslims
1: of SA. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: So that's it for today's show. We hope you added value. We hope you enjoyed it. But most of all, we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose. Don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com If you know anybody out there that is inspiring, that's leading, that's living with purpose, please uh, do contact us. And remember, feedback is our oxygen so follow us on social media we're on facebook instagram and twitter i hope you
1: enjoyed god bless Alaikum.